Dylan got it bumping. Well, since the first time since 1991, the Indiana Hoosiers are 2-0 in Big Ten play. And, man, this season just keeps getting weirder. It seems each week the Big Ten West is getting worse. The Big Ten East is getting weird. The It just is a constant, what in the world is going on? But, anyway, IU football is 2-0, and things are going well for that program as they're getting ready for Michigan this week, welcome back to the Indiana Football Podcast, presented by the Hoosier Network. I'm Griffin Gonzalez. Beside me, as usual, Griffin Epstein, Jack Ankeny, and guys, I, we're going to spend a lot of time talking Rutgers today. We're going to talk Michigan as well with the special Indiana team. And I'm, I'm looking at that Rutgers game, and there's a lot of things that stand out to me, mainly that Indiana won that game pretty handily and did not play particularly great. Um, penalties were an issue. Um receiving and the communication between Mike Penix and his guy seem to be continues to be an issue. And I guess bottom line, Indiana won, but it felt like they won at 75%. I don't know if you guys agree with that thoughts on that. IU could have, you know, really run up the score against Rutgers and not that this Rutgers team isn't a lot better than anything they've been essentially since Greg Schiano was last there in 2011. They, they went to the Big Ten a couple of years after uh, Shiano left. Had had the first year they were in it, they had an eight-win season. Since then, they haven't had a winning record in the Big Ten. I don't think they're gonna have a winning record in the Big Ten, but I could see them winning a couple more games. I mean, I I honestly was impressed. But uh, to your guys's point, you know, the two touchdowns that Rutgers scored before the garbage time touchdown in the fourth quarter, uh, neither of them should have happened. They were both roughing the passer penalties. One was on a fourth and long. The other was on a third and long. Both fell incomplete, uh, but they were just silly roughing the passer penalties. They shouldn't have happened. Uh, so, so the defense, you know, I mean, they could have basically shut out Rutgers. And I thought they played, and we'll talk about them more, obviously, but I thought they were just absolutely incredible. And it's been a, I don't, I don't think there's been an IU defense that is this good in our lifetime. Because uh, it it's just remarkable to see their turnaround. And I think offensively, uh, you know, Jack, Jack said exactly what I was thinking when I was watching the game offensively. Until the third quarter, it looked exactly like the Penn State game. The offense was was a mess. The O-line was struggling. Uh, they weren't getting a, too much on the ground to really free up Penix uh, through the air. Uh, and they scored, they scored, you know, 17 points in the second quarter, which is exactly what they scored against Penn State. Uh, and mostly from turnovers from, you know, two interceptions from Bedrill, their defense primarily setting up the offense. But then what was the big difference, I thought, uh, was the second half for the offense was was very impressive. And what we expected from this IU offense, if they could put everything together, uh, I something so a name that no one has really talked about in the last couple of days is Samson James. I thought he was great. They brought him in on one of their best drives of the game on a third quarter drive. I think it did stall out for a field goal, uh, but I want to, that, that was one of my big takeaways. I want to see Samson James more. I want to see more Stevie Scott. I think they need to use the running game more, but obviously the passing game was much better in the second half. Uh, Penix was more comfortable in the pocket, but also his wide receivers just seemed to get into a rhythm. And once there was a couple completions, similar to what we saw in the very final drive of regulation for IU, once, once they were in a rhythm, you know, they were awesome, and, and Rutgers' defense couldn't stop them. So at this point, you know, I think if they can be consistent and the way the defense played against Rutgers, if they can do that against 
an elite offense such as such as you know Michigan that has a lot of playmakers coming in, they have a chance to do something really really special. I don't know if I'd go ahead and call Michigan the elite offense. Thing. No, I wouldn't call them an elite offense, but much better than Rutgers. Okay, fair. With more talent, more potential, especially. I think the potential is there for Michigan to be a team that can make a run at the college football playoff, maybe not this year, but with the collection of players they have potentially in the future. Uh, obviously, Rutgers uh, isn't making a run at the college football playoff, though they were, you know, much better than we'd seen them in years past. I think, I think we're globalizing this game a little too much. I think bottom line is I think the biggest difference here is this is the Rutgers team of old. The, the biggest difference is I think Shiano brings in that energy. And I think in a way, if there's any difference between last year's Rutgers and this year's Rutgers, it's not that they got shut out and threw one passing yard. It's their body language. Last year when Indiana played Rutgers after the first drive, it seemed that Rutgers knew that game was over and it, it's just their body language just shut down in, in their defense. They hadn't, I think they've only won one game against old dominion at that point, someone like that. I mean, I think them coming out and continuing to fight with Indiana late going for onside kicks, getting onside kicks, which a little concern that Indiana still cannot recover an onside kick, but that's a topic of a discussion on its own time. I, I just think, am I, am I getting excited that this was, Oh my goodness. They beat Rutgers. No, I'm not. But I, I think at the same time, this is the kind of you, if you're, Wanting to compete with the likes of Northwestern, Wisconsin, Iowa, Penn State, Ohio State, Michigan, you got to win the bunnies. And I think, and you got to win them pretty handedly. You can't have close wins against Rutgers and you can't have a little loss. You have to be able to dominate and you have to be able to play well. And I think, did Indiana dominate? I don't know if I'd say that, but at the end of the day, when I was watching the game, I really didn't have much question that Indiana was the more dominant team and they were going to win that game. Well, Griffin, I'm with you. I think I saw a quote after the Rutgers game when they beat Michigan and it was from a junior or senior on the team. I don't remember, but his quote after the Michigan state win was I looked up at at the scoreboard and, and I questioned if it was real life or something. It was, (laughs) I'm paraphrasing, but that, that was, it was something to the effect of that. So when you talk about, um, Shiano just bringing that energy. I think it's also just Rutgers for one, one time in the past couple of years, they believed that, that they could compete in the big 10 with a bit with, I mean, even though Indiana's coming off of uh, beating Penn state, they don't think of Indiana as a, as a powerhouse in the big 10. So I think just that belief that they could play with a team was really part of the reason that I agree with you. I thought most of the second half, it felt like, when, when is Indiana going to blow this one out? Because that's how I thought the offense looked for, for at least my opinion. Uh, I think Griffin, I mean, just the last point on Rutgers, they did bring in 10 transfers. So there were new players brought in. I thought Vedral was not incredible. He missed some throws he should have made, um, but they had a quarterback. So I don't think this Rutgers team is awful. Of course, Indiana should have won this game. But the difference is if this is Indiana and Tom Allen's first or second year, I think they lose this game. Because Rutgers, Rutgers fought hard that Indiana was hung over in the first half because of a, you know, one of their biggest victories in program history. And I, you know, it wasn't a surprise to see them hung over. And I think Tom Allen said it in the press conference after he said, I did everything all week long to try to get this team ready, but he kind of knew it was going to be tough at the beginning because you just had your biggest win in program history. You've been all over sports center all week. Your coach was the national coach of the week. 
And now you're playing in front of literally no fans in Piscataway, New Jersey against a team uh, that you beat by 35 points last week. So of course they weren't going to get up for it at the beginning. Uh, And I think this Rutgers team, I don't know, maybe I'm giving them too much credit, but obviously we saw them beat Michigan state. We just saw Michigan state beat Michigan. Don't want to play gymnastics with who beats who. uh, But I think Indiana deserves a lot of credit um, for pulling out a game that was not easy and I don't necessarily think it is, is, is it a completely different program from the program we saw that was Rutgers last year, as you pointed. Let's go ahead and look at the stats from this past week against Rutgers. Michael Penix Jr. needed to have a better game than what he had week one. Week one, people were uh, excited because he played good for the final, you know, three and a half minutes, but then uh, 16 minutes before that was not great. Mike Penix Jr., 1726, 238. Three touchdowns, total QBR of 71.9. Stevie Scott, 21 carries on 81 yards, zero touchdowns ever. Uh, Samson James, talked about him a little bit, seven carries, 33 yards going down the line. Watt Thayer had himself a day. We said he was expecting to have a big performance. Five receptions, 137 yards, still no touchdown. But how about Peyton Hendershot, six receptions. Only 34 yards, but by golly, he's got his two touchdowns. And then, of course, Ty Freifogel, four for 55 and a touchdown. As for Rutgers, um, my favorite stat of the day, you guys remember Johnny Langan from last season, guy threw one passing yard. Well, guess what? Somehow this man threw for less. (laughs) Negative four in this one. One for one, negative four passing yards. That's my favorite Rutgers stat of all time, the fact that Johnny Langan threw for less than one pass. He – so his, I guess his net passing yardage against Indiana is negative three yards. Wildly impressive. Wildly but Griffin, he caught, he caught. A, I don't know if you're watching. He caught a ball. He rushed. Uh, actually, on the WIX broadcast, we compared him to Taysom Hill, the Saints. So, you know, he can kind of do it all. I, I was, I don't know if I'd say impressed, but uh, they, they, he was very versatile out there. Are we, are we really pulling out Taysom Hill? <laughs> With a guy who just threw negative three yards. Not at that same they, level, but yeah. a similar a similar role uh, Greg Schiano is using for, you know, he coached in the NFC South, so uh, he has experience there. Fair, fair. Uh, well, guys, I guess I just look – I kind of look at this roster and I look at the score and I look at the team stats, the sheet. Uh, what I keep coming back to is, listen, uh, Indiana, not good on third downs, two of 12. Uh, that's going to be extremely hard to get the job done. Uh, they did a good job on defensive side on third downs, though. Kept Rutgers to three of fourteen. Uh, I see total yardage at three forty-seven. Um, it's pretty solid, pretty consistent. I don't know if that beats you, gives you a win against Michigan or Penn State, but it gets the job done. Uh, or my, should, I, should I say, you know, the average Penn State year? But the biggest <laughs> reason I think Rutgers had twenty-one on this Indiana's defense is the stat right there listed as penalties 11 for 119 yards. And I hate to be this guy, but when Rutgers is having a total yardage of 247, 119 is giving them what they need to get 21 on the board. That that's just killer. And, and it works against Rutgers. It's not going to work probably against Ohio state. Yeah, you're right. I think Gr- Griffin, I mean, I think that was the, the biggest problem. And, and Tom Allen said it both after the game and again today, you know, Number one thing for him was penalties. He mentioned, you know, red zone. And part of the problem was it wasn't that they were good penalties, you know, reaching on a, on a pass interference when you had to. And I guess that's not a good penalty, but but a competitive penalty. A lot of the pe- penalties, um, both offensively and defensively, were 
Watt Fillier's face mask where he just reached in and, and grabbed the guy and it was kind of an accident, but just, just a silly play. There was obviously, I mentioned the two roughing the passers, just unnecessary, uh, multiple false starts offensively for them. Uh, and, you know, those, those are the things that I think you, you should be able to clean up in practice. Um, but they definitely were disappointing and it was a little surprising because I think that's something that we haven't seen from IU in years past, but I don't know. I would equate most of that to just, you know, being hung over from the Penn state game and you're just not executing uh, and mentally maybe at the level that you want to be. There was two, uh, two unsportsmanlike penalties too. Uh, and Tom Allen talked about that today. That was, that was unacceptable. And that, and that was a surprise too. You don't see that in Tom Allen's program. You hope that that just has to be, you know, a hangover effect. Cause they were, they were excellent in, in the Penn state game without penalties. So th- that would be my guess for why that was such a problem. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I just thought the, the penalty, that aspect of the game was so frustrating because I thought the Indiana defense was able to really make Noah Vedrill feel uncomfortable for the majority of the game. So it never, I never got a sense that, that Rutgers was getting in that rhythm, and it kind of felt like Indiana kept opening, you know, just giving them these little chances to you know, revitalize what, what they really hadn't been doing well. So I, I thought it was kind of a game where even though Indiana didn't play very well in the first quarter, they probably could have put them away earlier. Um, if it weren't for those couple of big penalties. I just keep going back to, I think at the end of the day, and I'll say this and then we're going to move on. I, it, this is the kind of big 10 game you need to win consistently. If you want to be held to the high respects of big 10 and college football, and you want to be consistently in the top 25, it, you know, we see this Indiana team in past, you know, these five win seasons, four win seasons, they drop games like this. They drop games on the road. They drop games to a, to win Illinois team on the road. They, and I think what Tom out, the biggest message I think Tom Allen is sending with this kind of win and this kind of season is saying, listen, we're going to win these ball games. We're not taking these weeks off. We're going week by week. And I think this is, you know, if you, I'm not saying you're going to be Ohio state tomorrow, you're not going to be a college football playoff team. And I don't think Indiana is within 10 years of that, but I'm saying right now, Indiana should be looking to be uh, Northwestern Iowa. I mean, Iowa, is where Indiana should be looking to be right now and just win the ones you need to. Not this year, though. Not this year. Yeah, no. But no, we don't want to be Iowa this year. But anyway, win the games you can win. And I, I think that's kind of what Tom Allen's going through with a win like this one. All right, we're going to bring in our guest now, uh, Daniel Dash. He is coming to us from Ann Arbor to talk a little Michigan football with us. He is a writer for the Michigan Daily. Daniel, thanks so much for joining us. How are you doing tonight, man? I'm doing well. I appreciate you guys having me on. Uh, we appreciate you coming on. Uh, we're going to go a little round robin here, ask you a few questions. We're trying to get the inside. You're our first resource. We're trying to get the inside information on who this Michigan Wolverines team is. Uh, coming off a tough loss this past week to the Michigan State Spartans in a rivalry game. And because it's a rivalry game, I, I got to ask the question, um, you know, Harbaugh continues to struggle in these ball games. I, I even joked with somebody today on the phone. I was like, maybe Tom Allen should just come out and declare Michigan their biggest rival and they might have a chance in this one. Uh, when you look at Harbaugh and his struggles in these games, what is it about rivalries that it's just so tough for this Michigan team to figure out? It seems like it's everything. They insist that they, they take the season a day at a time. No opponent's greater than any other opponent. 
Whereas, you know, Ohio State's got a clock on the wall of their weight room counting down the days until their next game against Michigan. It's just, it doesn't seem like they take it with nearly as much seriously. And, and then, and all these post-game interviews, all they talk about is how seriously they take it. And quite frankly, after they lost MSU, which is, in my opinion, the worst loss in Harbaugh's six years, first guy that came to mind was Tom Allen, seeing what he's doing at Indiana this year with really half as many resources as Harbaugh. The fact that we're now in year six and Harbaugh's yet to establish sustained success, rivalry success, recruiting success, it's really quite mind-boggling. Yeah, Daniel, I wanted to ask you um, kind of a question about Joe Milton. He had 300 passing yards uh, last week uh, in their win, or I mean, sorry, in the loss to uh, Michigan State. Um, a topic of conversation, at least among us, has been the performance of the Indiana secondary and just their stellar play in, in man coverage, just open field tackling. How do you think Milton um, will fare against kind of uh, an Indiana defense that's, that's really playing some great, great football right now? I don't know. I think Milton's 300 passing yards have to be taken with a grain of salt. He threw the ball, what, 50 times, 60 yeah. times? I mean, they were playing from behind the whole second half. A lot of the throws were probably within 5 to 10 yards of line of scrimmage. A lot of check downs, a lot of targets for running backs and wide receivers in the flat coming out of the backfield. Um, the one time that he really aired the ball out to Mike Sainer still was a really pretty throw. Sainer still just couldn't get a step or two on the defender, but Milton a big presence, big, big pocket presence, I should say. Not really much of a, a roll-out and throw kind of guy, but I think that with the arm strength he has, Michigan needs to start taking chances over the top. So if you're Indiana secondary, that's got to be priority number one. Keep the receivers in front of you. Uh, I think Milton, even though he had 75 fewer passing yards in week one, uh, showed a, a lot more as a, a deep ball thrower that he's kind of hyped up to be against Minnesota. Um, then on the other side of the ball, I think Michigan secondary is probably its biggest concern. I could see a, a huge day for a guy like Watt Fillier. So I think it really goes both ways in this kind of matchup. Yeah, Daniel, I wanted to expand a little bit more on that Michigan defense. And they gave up uh, was it 350 yards, uh, or 450 yards, I should say, against Michigan State uh, on on Saturday. And, and you know, you hear about Don Brown's defense, and I feel like you think you think Michigan, you think defensive line, especially. I heard John Harbaugh in his press conference today uh, saying they need to be get need to be better. Uh, what are the issues right now with this Michigan team defensively? Well, the secondary took a huge hit. Uh, Embry Thomas, who would have been their top cornerback, opted out before the season. Uh, he's training for the NFL draft right now in Arizona, I believe. So they've really turned to two guys with very little experience. Uh, last year, their top two corners were Ambry Thomas and LaVert Hill. Uh, LaVert Hill now with the Kansas City Chiefs. So they have Jamon Green and Vince Gray starting at cornerback, and they got absolutely toasted against Michigan State. They gave up 196 receiving yards to a three-star true freshman recruit. That's just it's uncharacteristic under a, a Don Brown Michigan. But what's becoming increasingly characteristic is the fact that Don Brown is refusing to adjust. He doesn't do much in the middle of games. Really left those corners on an island, and Michigan paid the price with a, a pretty stunning loss. All right, Daniel, I, I'm going to move on here. We've kind of been negative on Michigan with our first three questions. Listen, they're ranked 23. Rightfully so. 
this 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 team's you know they're struggling, but they're they're still ranked. They're still good. In fact, they're still favored on the road against the number thirteen team in the country this week in Indiana. So tell me, what does this Michigan team do exceptionally well? Uh, I think overall as a program, Michigan is known to do very well in the trenches. Offensive line and defensive line has been two of the program's strong suits for uh, as long as I can remember. Uh, this year, defensively. Uh, Pay and Aiden Hutchinson could be the best defensive end duo in the nation, which sounds you know pretty far-fetched coming off a week with zero sacks. But uh, Hutchinson is he plays very similar to the Bosa brothers. Pay obviously is he was the the number one freak in the athletic summer freak countdown. He runs a I think they said it was the best three cone drill time in Michigan history, uh, and would have been number one at the NFL Combine last year. Um, so they have a ton of athleticism coming off the edge. And then offensively, they're still trying to replace four NFL linemen who are now in the NFL, or two, four guys who are on last year's line who were then drafted. Um, so from left to right, they're Ryan Hayes, Chuck Filiaga, Andrew Vistardis, Andrew Stuber, and Jayla Mayfield this year. The only returner in that group is Mayfield, who actually originally opted out of the season. So it looks like they're going to have five brand new offensive linemen, but Traditionally, that's Michigan's biggest strength, and this year it's somewhere that they really, really haven't lived up to expectations. Um, but in terms of this year's biggest strength, I think Michigan's wideouts and the speed that they bring off the edge is pretty unbelievable. I mean, they have two true freshmen who have played major roles so far in Roman Wilson and A.J. Henning. They have other young guys, sophomores, Mike Sainer still, Josh Jackson, Cornelius Johnson, and then the oldest of the group is junior Ronnie Bell, who was actually he was committed to Missouri State as a basketball recruit for a little bit, but he was Michigan's leading wide receiver last year. He's doing well so far this year. He almost had a touchdown last week and tripped and fell when he had a, an open path to the end zone in week one. So maybe they'll try to get him across the goal line this week. Right, Daniel. So I've, I've been kind of going back and forth um, in terms of how I think this game will play out, kind of what I'm looking forward to. And, and part of me is, you know, saying that it's an Indiana program on the rise versus a Michigan team coming off what you said, you know, is one of the worst losses under Harbaugh. Um, but then I kind of think about the his, how the history of this matchup has gone. Um, so do you think just really just Indiana's momentum and Michigan's recent struggles is, is kind of enough to keep it close? Or do you think still just the history and just the fact that Michigan is more of an established program is is still going to be the deciding factor? Is this going to be the same Michigan-Indiana that we've seen in recent years? I guess I've, I've just been struggling with that. No, I think this year is the streak breaker. I said it on our podcast a couple days ago, but my final score prediction for this game is Indiana 28, Michigan 24. I just – I don't see enough in this Michigan team to beat an Indiana team that's playing as well as they are. I mean, you look at Indiana's first two games, they're really dominant. Penix looks great. Uh, Stevie Scott looks great. Wap Fillier looks otherworldly. I, mean, I, I don't really see how Michigan keeps up. I think it's a one-score game. I think the final score is going to be a single-digit margin, but I really struggle to see a, a way Michigan wins this. I think, Daniel, one of the reasons we, we like to have guests on from the opposing school is to kind of get the perception of Indiana, you know, from out of state, from out of the program, uh, what is the perception of Indiana going to this year, especially at Michigan, where, you know, I was doing some research over the weekend. It's it, Michigan IU over time is the longest active streak of a, a losing streak in a series dating back to 1988, 44 straight games. Mm-hmm. Perception wise, Jack hit it on the head uh, program on the rise. 
is kind of the term that I associate most closely to Indiana and the current state of and what Tom Allen's really doing. Um, and yeah, like you said, the, the longest streak, but as is everything else in 2020, I, I think we see a, a major change in this one. Well, Daniel, uh, one final question for you before we let you go. I, I guess my big question here is kind of from the Michigan side of things, going back on you guys. When you look at this team, when you look at the coaching staff, is this a season that needs to take an upward trend or are we going to see changes in Ann Arbor here if this year does not get better? Uh, I think the one overhanging factor is the fact that Jim Harbaugh's contract expires at the end of this year. Um, in an athletic department that has seen layoffs, a $100 million projected budget deficit, and just in general, hard times. Like everywhere else in the country, that's not unnorm- uh, unusual. I don't know how you can justify bringing back Harbaugh at the current salary of $8 million a year. It's the fourth highest in college football. Is he worth the fourth most money in college football? Or do they dare give him a raise? And uh, once you, if you somehow figure out the money, what do you do in terms of contract years? Do you offer him three? Tell him that he has to beat Ohio State or win the Big Ten in three years? Because his best recruiting class is coming in next year. He's got a five-star quarterback, borderline five-star wide receiver. If those skill position players can't push them over the top, what are you left with? So I think that's some uh, some introspection that's going on right now. Well, good stuff. Thank you so much, Daniel, for hopping in, and uh, we'll talk to you later. Thank you, guys. I'll catch up with you on Saturday. Have a good one. So Daniel chiming in there with his takes on Michigan football, kind of giving us an insight. And <laughs> guys, I, I think he sounds about as frustrated with Michigan football covering the team than Michigan fans do. Isn't that how always Michigan fans do? And then not to harp on Michigan fans at all. My mom's a grad from there. So I grew up watching a lot of Michigan, but I, I feel like it's just interesting because the expectations are so much different. And if Michigan isn't going to win, you know, obviously not uh, 10 games in a normal season this year, I don't know, six, six or seven games, you know, the pressure's on Harbaugh and it feels like Harbaugh's been on the hot seat for the last four years. It's kind of the, the SEC equivalent of Auburn. Gus Malzahn, if he loses a game, he is automatically on the hot seat. Well, he beats Alabama this year. Okay, we give him another year. Loses to LSU, back on the hot seat. So, you know, it's it feels like things are slowly starting to crumble at Michigan, and part of it is, is there's just been immense pressure, I feel like, in the Jim Harbaugh era, and they can't beat Ohio State. You know, they've lost now three times to Michigan State, all, all games that you don't you didn't expect the the famous pun, of course, one was in a driving rainstorm. And then last Saturday in an empty, an empty big house, um, you know, it, it feels like things are starting to crumble there after all this complaining and frustration. Um, I guess the, I guess the question is, you know, is it, is it just normal Michigan moaning and groaning or, or is it, you know, is it for real this time? And I think we're, I think we're going to find out on Saturday because I was looking at their schedule. They got Wisconsin the week after if they lose three games in a row, I mean, that Michigan Michigan fans are not going to be happy with Jim Harbaugh, that's for certain. Yeah, I, I mean, I understand it's coming off the Michigan State loss. I was a little bit surprised how uh, negative he sounded uh, just about the team in general. I know the expectations are, are also extremely high. Um, I was surprised to hear him give a uh, Indiana winning prediction. Um, and then just kind of hitting on his, his points about 
Harbaugh. I don't know if, if, if the, if the alternative to that is any better, you know, he talked about the money uh, situation. They don't want to pay him that much, but so are you going to pay someone less, which meaning in theory, they might not be as big of a name as Harbaugh. I, I, I think, I think it's a little bit of an overreaction. I think Michigan is still in a, in, in a good spot as a program. Like you said, if they end up losing to Indiana and Wisconsin, that's a different story. Um, but yeah, those are kind of my thoughts on what he said. I think so much of it is it's when you look at Michigan, you're always going to compare Michigan to the likes of Ohio state. Yeah. That's just how the rivalry works. And I think what you're seeing is you've seen Ohio state get the same caliber guys, same caliber coaching staff. And every single year, it, it just feels like they can't keep up. It feels like they're playing two different conferences. I mean, that's Ohio state with everybody in the conference, but it's, it feels like Michigan should technically be the next closest one there, and they just haven't been since that you know 2016-2017 game where they were number three and Ohio State was number two. Uh, and I think it's just – it seems like there's just a – there's a ceiling for Harbaugh, and I, I think Michigan might have reached it. And I think that's the challenge is trying to find out this season. what. And I think the fact they haven't given him an extension yet is a red flag. I, I just do. They haven't given him an extension yet, and they just lost to MSU at home. I, I wouldn't be feeling good about my future. I mean, because I, I honestly think with Harbaugh's job, I think he has to win out. I fully believe he has to win out to keep his job. I, I don't know if I go that far. Um, I think I think I'm kind of with you on has Michigan hit the ceiling because I think that's that's a really fair point. I don't think even next year uh, how Daniel was saying how they have uh, the number like Harbaugh's number one recruiting class, five-star quarterback, five-star receiver. I don't know if, if, if really they're on, on that pace to, to ever get to be like a team like Ohio state. So I think it's a really tough um, situation that they have in Ann Arbor. Yeah. It's almost like, I don't know. It's almost a little like Indiana basketball where you're, you know, uh, you know, Michigan has, but had Bo Schemblechler and was consistently, one of the best programs in the country, I think in terms of winning percentage and bowl victories, something like that. I mean, they're the, the best, best college football team of all time, but they're not now. And Ohio state recruits better. If you look at the numbers, Ohio state had five, five stars in 2019, Michigan had zero and they, you know, are still typically second in the big 10 in recruiting, but they're, they're just not at that level. And I think that their fans should, should, you would hope which would should expect not to be that good. But part of the problem that Daniel said is that Jim Harbaugh is the fourth highest paid coach in the big 10. And when you're paying someone $8 million a year, you know, you expect to beat your biggest rival. And I think the thing that's interesting is, you know, Michigan's streak against Indiana is, is infamous in college football for how long it's gone on for. And if he was to lose on Saturday, you know, you have a feeling, you know, Michigan fans that are always upset could be really upset because they don't – Michigan football does not lose to Indiana. Uh, and, in fact, the one victory that IU had in 1988, you, you, go, you have to go back to 1967 to find another time that IU's beaten Michigan. So it's, it's ridiculous how much Michigan's dominated IU. So I don't know. I think this game on Saturday is the biggest game in the Jim Harbaugh era for potentially keeping him around um, – it's interesting where that program's going, but it, it's, I feel like it's kind of like Indiana basketball. It's not fun to be around because there's so much pressure and tension applied by the fans and the fan base who are, you know, looking back at an era that's long gone. 
and thus is the case why I'm saying Michigan could very well win this game. Hey, it's it's not a matter. It, it's there's a few coaches in the Big Ten conference that I don't want to go against after a loss. Urban Meyer, well, not Urban Meyer anymore, but Urban Meyer then. Now Ryan Day. Uh, I don't want to go against Ohio State after a loss. I don't want to go against Penn State after a loss. I don't want to go against Wisconsin after a loss. And I don't want to go against Michigan after a loss. Because usually that means their chances at the playoff are gone, and that was their goal all season. So, usually they've got something to show uh, immediately following that loss. And I think that's going to be Michigan this week. And I do think they have a loaded roster. I, I They do. They have a loaded roster of talent. And, I mean, their best receiver is a four-slash-five-star. Our best receiver is Watt Fillier, who was out of college, out of high school, I should say, a two-star, um, which is the – College football equivalent of saying, yeah, you're not going to make it. Uh, so I overall, I just think when we look at Michigan, we can we can sum it up in a lot of ways. But I think bottom line is, if there is ever a year to get it done, <laughs> I mean, these matchups go back and forth. Um, I would actually say this is my favorite game I, on IU's calendar year in and year out because the past four years, this game has been a dogfight. Uh, maybe not on the scoreboard, but just in the grittiness and the attitudes and the infighting. I mean, we saw the one in the big house two years ago where players were getting ejected left and right, targeting calls. I mean, Winovich got knocked out. I mean, there was just so much going on. Um, and, and I think this one, last year was the blowout. And I think this year is going to be another close one. I, I just think it is. I think that's how Indiana is going to play these teams this season. Um and I, I, I do think if it's a close matchup, I think the hands are in the better team. And I think the better team right now on paper is Michigan. Uh, and I, th- I think I can just keep coming back to that. Um, I think that defensive line, like Daniel said, is very scary. I, I think it's a very big one. And Indiana's biggest weakness is its offensive line right now, as we've seen through a few weeks. Um, and I, the final thing, I think, why Michigan has the upper hand in this one and why they're picked by three and a half is because Harbaugh's pissed. I mean, let's just call a spade a spade. He's pissed. He, he hears the noise. He clearly hears the noise. He knows people want his head. But my question is, okay, Michigan fans, if not hardball, then who are you going to go get? You're not going to get Urban Meyer. You're not going to get Nick Saban. Uh, what do you want, Gus Malzahn? I mean, is that what you want? I, because I really don't know who else do you want. Because as far as recruiting momentum goes, as car as – I mean, outside of his rivals, Harbaugh has actually done a pretty decent job. It's just he can't beat the games that Michigan fans want the most. And I think that's the biggest frustration with this Michigan team. And I think if he loses to Indiana, like Jack said earlier, if he loses to Indiana and then he loses to Wisconsin, man, he's going to be in trouble. Yeah. I I, I mean, I'm with you on most of your points, Griffin. I think the biggest thing that you talked about was – just basically the talent level amongst the whole team. If you look at that Michigan roster compared to the IU roster, it's, it's one or two stars better at, at most positions. And that really is where it comes down to in the trenches. I think like Daniel was saying, uh, that's kind of the strength of this Michigan team. It's, this is going to be a massive test for the Indian offensive line. I think um, as also with just the entire team, but I think especially that offensive line um, is kind of the, the area that I'm, I'd say most concerned with Indiana in terms of just that talent disparity between teams. 
Yeah, to, to your one of your points too, Griffin, I just went through the schedule really quickly in the Jim Harbaugh era, which now dates back five years and feel like he's been there that long. But excluding games that are sandwiched around the Ohio State game, which obviously they've lost every year, he has not lost. Harbaugh's not lost back-to-back games in the Michigan era, uh, which, which you know, makes sense. A program of that caliber just does not do that. And they have the players talented enough. Um, but I think what, you know, Indiana fans should have hope for and a reason they're ranked 13th in the country is with the exception of the penalties on Saturday at Rutgers, how good we've seen Indiana do with the little things. And that's why they beat Penn state. Their special teams has been outstanding with, and again, the exception of the, the onside kicks against Rutgers uh, when the game was done. Um, Charles Campbell just got big 10 special teams of the week. They have a great kicker in him. Uh, The return game's been really good in special teams, Penn state. They didn't have penalties. Penn state had a ton of penalties uh, and the defense has forced three turnovers. You have turnovers, special teams, penalties, uh, and just situational awareness, such as getting off the field on third down, which they haven't done well in the past. I think Indiana has the confidence and the experience to do those things really, really well. And while Michigan is obviously the more talented team, they don't have that experience. And that's part of why they lost to state on Saturday. So I think it's going to be a close game. As you guys said, I'm not going to make a prediction now, but I do think those little things in a close big 10 game often decide things. And that's why I think, a lot of people think IU is going to win this game. Well said, gentlemen. Well, that's going to wrap up our podcast this week. Big one on Saturday at noon. Another national televised game on FS1. Um, FS1, the home of Indiana football, I guess now uh, at this point. Um, well, gentlemen, any final comments before we let it go? I'm good. I, I'm still really torn on this game in terms of what I think is going to happen. I, I, I'm expecting a great game. Yeah, I, I think this is the game that tells you whether or not Indiana is. So obviously, they, they got it with Penn State. Um, but it, it feels like Ohio State's going to be really tough for IU. Wisconsin, assuming they're healthy, is going to be really tough as well. So that this is a huge game, I think, for IU and the rest of their season when we look back and say, uh, what, what are we going to remember from this season uh, and what's going to be the big storyline for the season? This is the game that's going to determine whether or not I use worth a top 15 rating. Just, yeah. I, I mean, it, because I don't think, I think Penn state as the season goes on, Penn state could have a really good season the rest of the way. I still don't think that's a top 10 win. Looking back, I think it's a top 25 win. Um, Michigan is a, another top 25 win. That's you'd love to have. Um, but bottom line, it, it, this is what, if I, you can start three, and zero and ideally can go into that Ohio state game undefeated. That is what tells you if Indiana is a legitimate program, because these are games they can win. These are teams that are not as good as them, at least on, you know, as far as the AP poll is concerned that they can win. And I think that's going to be the biggest question on everyone's mind this coming Saturday. Well, that's going to wrap up this week's edition of the Indiana Hoosiers football podcast. For Jack Ankeny, Griffin Epstein, I've been Griffin Gonzalez. Be sure to stay tuned to the Hoosier Network online, on Twitter, and on SoundCloud for everything you need related to IU football. We'll be back next week previewing another game. But until then, we'll see you next time right here on the Indiana Football Podcast.